0: All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, thankful for some time this morning. Um, in your word, um, just a, a recognition of your love for us in Jesus and um, a recognition of or at least a, a call in our lives to, to stay focused on Jesus, uh, even as you send us out into the world, um, if you will, to, to serve people and to, and to witness to the love of Christ. So. Uh, we just continue to pray that through this episode in the life of Jesus, um, you would speak to us individually about what we're going through in our life. Uh, perhaps we'll find application for it for ourselves, uh, but also speak to us corporately. We pray as a church body, um, and what does it mean for our witness also uh, in the world today. So uh, we love you, and we thank you for loving us, and uh, we just commend our time in the Word together to you. And all God's people said, amen. All right. All right, so it is the fifth Sunday after Easter, right, uh, believe it or not, uh, which means Pentecost is fast approaching. That's going to be June 9th uh, on the calendar, so I hope you can join us for that special and significant Sunday in the life of the church uh, when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit um, into the world. Uh, but what I want to do today is take a look at an episode in the life of Jesus that has implication, has Uh, effect for you and for me, not only for the disciples to whom he speaks directly to that day, but also for us as we make our way in the world, right? As we assume the burdens and responsibilities of life that we have as we uh, try to attend to our needs, the needs of our family, the needs of our community, but also um, that calling on our lives um, uh, to follow Jesus. And so, uh, let's look at the text then, and then I'll set up the context for you Uh, and then we'll go from there. So this is going to be John chapter 16, all right? Um, Again, just listen to the words first, and then I'll explain uh, where we're at in the life of Christ and in his relationship with his disciples, all right? So Jesus goes on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. (laughs) At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, in a little while, you'll see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me, And because I'm going to the Father? They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying, right? Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you'll see me? Very truly, I tell you, No one will take away your joy. All right, so what's the context? All right, well, this is commonly called the conclusion to the upper room conversation, all right? This is Jesus with the disciples in the upper room just prior to his arrest, trial, execution, and and resurrection, right? This is, if you will, an opportunity Uh, for Jesus to tie up any loose ends before his departure, right, Um, that is soon to come. Um, Now, uh, think about that idea that is facing the disciples, this impending departure of Christ, this ending, right? Think about that. Have you ever experienced an ending in life where you weren't certain about what was next right that perhaps there was sorrow anxiety fear Uh, there's a sense of 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 not even closure or finality but but perhaps just this nebulous what will happen to me next i think if we could hear from the disciples at this point we would probably be able to shake our head in agreement with them, right? That when we know something is ending, especially something that's been important to us, there are all sorts of emotions, right, occurring in our, our life. You know, perhaps it's a, it's a loved one who, who dies after a long illness and the, the spouse or, or maybe sibling or parent is, is left with, what next? What next? Perhaps it's a, a, a an end to to a marriage unexpectedly, right? What just happened? The person might ask, and what will happen next? Or it could be even retirement after a, a long career, where where somehow this happens. We we. Our identity is wrapped up in who we were as, as, a, as an employee or an employer, and, and all of a sudden when that's taken away from us, we're uncertain about what that future means because, because as I said, our identity had been in our career. I'm thinking, you know, our daughter Megan is getting ready to graduate next week from high school, and you know, for her and the other students, it's like, woohoo, Right? They're excited, they're happy, they're ready to go. But, you know, for us as parents, you get all kind of knotted up inside, right? My baby girl has grown up. She's leaving the house. And so you can imagine in this instance, anytime there's this this ending without uh, the the certainty of what is to come next, uh, you can see in the life of the disciples and Jesus' announcement of his departure Uh, The sorrow and the confusion and the fear. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it's simply my point that they are real people with real emotions like you and I have experienced at certain times in our life when we've been in what we might say are similar situations. But what's interesting about this section, and certainly encourage you on your own time to go read uh, the rest of John 16, because that's the the total context there, but this is a section which deals with joy, (laughs) Joy in the midst of our human uncertainties and sorrows. Joy in the midst of, uh, of times of loss or transition. It's not Jesus, though, however, catch this. It's not Jesus fixing the problem immediately, right? It's not even Jesus proposing solutions to the consternation that the disciples are experiencing. But Jesus giving them something for themselves, Jesus giving them something for the season that they find themselves in until they see him again. Now, as we've established, the disciples aren't experiencing joy. But as I said earlier, I think because what he says to them is helpful to them, it's helpful to you and to me. Uh, And what do I mean by that? Well, think about it this way. All right, here's the next slide. I would say this, God brings joy to our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. God brings joy to our lives, not by substitution, but by transformation. All right, what do I mean by that? Well, if you continue with that sort of metaphor that Jesus is using in the text about giving birth, it's the same baby that caused the pain, right, during birth, uh, actually is also the cause of joy. Because God does not substitute something else to relieve the mother's pain, right? I'm not talking about an epidural or anything like that, right? But what does he do? Instead, he uses what is already there but transforms it. So childbirth is a painful experience. Obviously, I've never had to go through it, right? But I've sat as an observer three times, squeamishly, right? And I've seen it. And yet, once that baby is born, the pain subsides uh, because it's been transformed into the joy of holding that child. And so the mother rejoices, the father rejoices, the family rejoices. Or think about it this way. How about an unhappy child in the house, right? A child unhappy because a toy has broken, um, or perhaps a, a friend who was over, at the, over uh, playing had to go home, Okay. Or I said earlier, the Wi-Fi is down, right? (laughs) But I think that makes adults just as upset and angry when the Wi-Fi is down as it does the kids. Anyway, so the parent has a choice in this particular instance. Substitute a new toy for the broken toy, or call in a new friend for the friend who just left. Or, so it's substitute a new toy for the broken toy, call in a friend who's just left, or, here's the choice, transform the situation into a new experience for the child. So I'm, what I mean by this is this. If the parent always gets a new toy, all right, for the child each time a toy breaks, then the child grows up expecting every problem to be solved by substitution. Okay? So instead of using the situation as a, a teaching moment or perhaps redirecting behavior uh, or addressing attitudes towards uh, budding materialism, right, right, uh, the parent punts. Now, I've punted, all right? I will admit, I have punted, right? I've substituted. I am sure of it, and I can't imagine even parenting in our day and age with young children where the where the prevalence of screens is so easy to offer, right, as a substitute. Um, how hard is it not to default to that? But But here's my point, right? As adults, as adults, consider it this way, that our sinful nature drives us to substitution, all right? Uh, for instance, relationship isn't going the way we want it, so let's find someone else rather than work through the problems. Don't like your job? Well, up and quit, right? Uh, and find a new one instead of perhaps maybe working on uh, what's wrong at the job, if it's even yourself, or, or learning to relate to your coworkers better um, in order to be that type of employee um, where uh, that employment is something um, to look forward to, uh, finances the finances is rough, right? Well, I'll just substitute that new car with the new credit card with the low interest rate and set aside my maxed out card, right? Instead of dealing with my spending habits and problems, what I'm saying is this: It basically, basically comes down to the idea that the way of solving problems through substitution is no way at all. It does not offer the joy we so long for. It does not offer that peace that we so long for. Uh, But it's what our disposable society says. It's what our disposable society offers. Substitution appears to be an easy and a convenient way out. But it isn't right? Because if you don't address the issues that caused the first breakup, you're, a li- you're likely to have a second one, right? If you don't um, address your poor spending habits, you're likely to see problems on that second credit card you got, right? Um, if you haven't figured out why you don't have any friends on Facebook, right? Perhaps you need to sit down with someone who will tell you and be real honest with you uh, as to why you don't. Instead, think about it this way, if you will, okay? About your relationship uh, to transformation as a follower of Christ. If you'd put the Mike, the, second, the verse up from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians, this is 517. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. The old is gone, the new is here. So whether it's a baby, a child, a youth, adult, what matters? What Christ wants to work in us, what Jesus is after is Transformation. His work in our lives so that we remain in His will, regardless of earthly circumstances. And so that by knowing that we remain in His will and knowing that we have His very presence in our lives, we can experience that joy that seems so elusive to us when our life is simply filled with the things of this world. All right, go back to that text, though, from John 16. Because what Jesus says in that text is... He doesn't doesn't say that the mother's sorrow or pain was replaced by joy, but that the sorrow was transformed by joy. Again, the same baby that caused the pain brings the joy. And I put it before you that so it is as we follow Jesus, that God takes these uh, seemingly impossible situations, adds to it the miracle of His grace, and transforms trial and sorrow by adding His presence his peace um, to our lives, his joy. I'll give you another verse from Second Corinthians 4. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. All right. So you can think about a particular situation you might find yourself in or a loved one where there's potential to lose heart. Right? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, that is the things of the world, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What the disciples didn't know, at least in terms of uh, chapter 16, yet what we do, is that Jesus is about to offer himself as the ultimate substitute for sin the ultimate substitute for sorrow, the ultimate substitute for brokenness and fear and grief and uncertainty and anxiety, uh, you name it, right? He will be the first and the last substitute that is needed for the people of God. Let me give you an illustration. Um, When Jesus begins his ministry, after he is baptized, he is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, uh, and who meets him in the wilderness? Satan. Satan. Satan meets Jesus in the wilderness and tempts Jesus, doesn't he? He tries to divert him from his march towards the cross. He offers a substitute, does he not, to what God has called Jesus to and what Jesus has set for himself. He offers a substitute out of the pain and the suffering. And how does he do this? By offering Jesus the things of the world, doesn't he? the power, and the money, and the fame. But what does Jesus say? No. Jesus says no, because he knows that there's nothing in this world, nothing, that will ever satisfy our deepest needs for salvation and for life except himself. He knows that he is the only one that can heal our deepest hurts, bind up our our worst wounds, comfort us in our deepest sorrows. That the things of this world will never be able to transform what we're going through into, uh, into joy because there's no substitute for Christ. So then it's the idea that not only are we transformed by the forgiveness of sins and knowing we've received everlasting life in Christ, but, but also this idea that transformation takes place for us today as the people of God so that we can live within the presence of God, and we can serve within the presence of God, and love in the presence of God, and weep and mourn in the presence of God, and celebrate with the presence of God. So he becomes the one and only substitute for us, and then begins that transforming work. Now, you might ask, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Because we talk about how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers, right? Transforming work. Uh, you might say, wasn't he subbed in after Jesus left, right? Uh, I mean, that Spirit, the Holy Spirit's sent after his ascension, right? That'll be Pentecost. We'll get that in a couple weeks. Uh, but he's sent not as an agent, of, or, 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 he's not sent as a substitute, but he's sent as an agent of transformation, right? For you and for me. Uh, the disciples may have remembered this conversation. This is from John 14. Uh, But the Helper of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the presence of the Spirit to teach and remind so that when we're faced with the pains of childbirth, right? That's the the metaphor for life. Um, When we're faced with the pains of the present, that our relationship with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit redirect our attention redirect our vision beyond the immediate quick fix of earthly substitute to the eternal work that God continues to do in our lives as his people. It's one of the reasons, and we'll talk about it in just a second, that, that Jesus points them not only to today, um, like you'll see me soon, but you'll see me again, that he wants them to expand their vision beyond the immediate. But let me ask you this concerning the immediate. This is sort of for personal reflection but also as corporately we can reflect uh, in the life of the church where am I where are you considering earthly substitution right as a quick fix for that transformative work that God wants to do in your life where have uncertainties in your life caused you to to seek the immediate rather than the long-term work of Christ now granted I know there are situations you know you need to go to the hospital, there's immediate need, right? We get that, I get that, but I think you understand what I'm getting at. You see, it's something for us to consider as followers of Christ. Uh, Have we fallen for the the solution that Satan offers, right, in the wilderness of life, or have we accepted Christ's? Verse 16 of the text says this, this is that uh, confusing statement, in a little while, you will see me no more, and then after a little while, you will see me. That's pregnant with double meaning. First, they're going to see him soon, right? Because in a few days after his, his uh, arrest and trial and crucifixion, he will rise from the dead, uh, and they will see him. But he's also speaking to them about his return in glory, all right? His coming in the, the new heavens and the, and the new earth and his encouragement to them and to us in light of that. It's to allow the Holy Spirit to to change our perspective. Remember, Paul tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? And and then changing our perspective to change our outlook. And when we change our perspective and our our outlook, uh, we're transformed. We're transformed by receiving the joy that he has to offer us in the present. Joy coming to us and bringing peace because Christ is in our life. Joy given to us even as we recognize our own sin because we fear no fear of want or or, or isolation um, because of the love of Jesus. We're at peace with ourselves and our situation because we recognize God has already made peace with us and promises and has proved himself faithful to those promises for us. You know, think about it this way our concept of time changes with our feelings. Our concept of time changes with our feelings, all right? So for the mother experiencing birth pains, right, every uh, labor pains, every minute may seem like an hour, right? When's this going to end, right? Um, and as I said earlier, watch you know, knowing that my 18-year-old is, is getting ready to graduate and leave the house this summer, uh, you know, she just learned to walk, didn't she? Right? 30 minutes in the dentist chair tomorrow morning, right, may seem like hours, but maybe hours at the table with good friends, you say, boy, did that go by fast, right? So I think our concept of time changes with our feelings. And so to continue the metaphor, if you will, labor may be a long time, but the pain is forgotten by the people of God and transformed by the person and work of Jesus. So let me just close with this by asking you this for your consideration. Where is God doing the work of transformation in your life? Where do you see it in the life of a loved one or or maybe someone close to you in the community, a neighbor, a coworker? Where are you seeking that, that joy in, in your life which seems to be elusive? Perhaps there's some substitution going on there that you need to reconsider. But I think what Jesus says in the end sums it up for you and for me as he says it to the disciples. That for us, That for us to find joy, for us to experience that transformation, for us, it's simply to see Jesus, to see Christ, to see into those situations and those times, to see him there with us, and to see him there providing. And so give that consideration for yourself in the week to come. We pray it in Jesus' name.